This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. What is the next, what is the job of the next government moving forward? What is their biggest challenge as they slide into the big chair and replace uh, what has been there in the past? To talk more about all of this, Henry Jasek is with, her, uh, with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we appreciate this. No problem, Scott. Are you excited? Oh, boy, do I get excited. I get excited over all elections. I just, for, for me, it's like almost Christmas morning, except <laughs> Christmas morning, except it's the, the, uh, the information comes out in the, uh, in the evening. That's Some people right. are going to get a present. That's Other right. people are going to get a lump of coal. <laughs> it's funny because I said that I'm writing my blog last night, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, I think I'm actually excited about this. And for me, I, I think it's the, I don't know if I'd say it's the first, I guess it is. It's the first one that I've truly been giddy about, which is, I don't know, does that mean that I've, I've, I've come to a certain a level in, in my political pundancy here that all of a sudden, or maybe it's an age thing. Is that what it is, Henry? You get to a certain age and you're just more into it? Well, I don't know. It, it, it basically, it's an, if the election grabs you, and I mean, like, there's a big choice here, and that, you know, for some people, because you know, because there is such a big difference, we know basically it's between two people, and they're very, very different. So that's likely to you know grab the attention of a lot of people. All right, as you reflect back on this uh, campaign as a political scientist, how do you compare this to past campaigns? Well, I well, first of all, I mean, it is a change election, uh, which is which which is always interesting. Most elections aren't, I mean, but are change elections. Most times, you you reelect the government. Uh, I would say two thirds of the times you reelect the government doesn't ha- it's not happening here. But also, I mean, what was interesting with me from the very beginning is that, uh, uh, and even way before the very beginning. Is there were all sorts of people telling Kathleen Wynne uh, she needed to resign and not run again. She'd mm. never win again, and people were telling the, her this over a year ago. And they were people in her own party, well, you know, very wise people: Warren Kinsella, Greg Sabera. You know, they were saying it publicly: "You're not going to win mm. because if you looked at the public opinion polls going back three uh, over the last three years, they were there was no time really when she was ever." Sh- it ever showed her winning winning the next election. Yeah. We've had over 100 public opinion polls in three years. They've all said the same thing. Yeah. Kathleen Wynne, you're not going to win. How do you explain that then? Why 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 stick to the same leader? Why, how do you explain that? Well, she was absolutely convinced that she understood the public. She was right and everybody else was wrong. And, and you know... So, I mean, there are leaders who get into this, and they can't imagine that anybody else could do as good a job or a better job than them. And I really think, in her mind, she could never imagine either the NDP or the PCs could do a better job running the government than her. I mean, it, her ego was is really, really big. Uh, and she, as she said, she's a competitor, but she has a competitor with a real big ego. And and it's for a group, some group of politicians, and she's one of them. They don't know when it's time to quit. When when mm. when people are not going to support you, you know. Some people know about that. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, Mulroney knew about when it was time to get out. Kretchen knew when it was time to get out. But there's some politicians who don't know when it's time to get out, and she's one of them. Do you think, Henry, that a different leader way back when would have made a difference? Considering that's pretty much how Kathleen Wynne got her job. We've already been through that with Dalton McGinty and that right. replacement. How many more times can we repaint the car? 
uh, I think the thing is, if your car needs repainting, you repaint it, and, yeah. you, and hopefully you'll get lucky. We went through a period from the 1940s into 1985 when we constantly elected conservatives, mm-hmm. and the cons- and and the conserv- progressive conservatives, and the, they just you know they would go, they they were very. I mean, all those leaders were pretty sensitive as to whether they'd win the next election or or not, yeah. and they and they knew when to go. And my favorite story here, I would tell you, is John. Robarts, very, very popular guy in the 1960s as Premier of the province. And he was considering everybody wanted him to run again in 1971. He had been in, you know, he'd been in there for over 10 years. And he looked at the public, one public opinion poll they did, it was one of their own. And they said, you know, who do you think would make the best Premier? John Robarts, you know, you, you know, all sorts of good things about him. And one of the last questions he looked at said, do you think the Premier should resign? Uh, and they had about, uh, you know, 54% said, yes, he should resign. He took a look at that, and he said, I'm out of here. Hmm, wow. he, even though all these other questions said, oh, they loved him, he's the best guy, the most talented, the brightest, you know, the best. But should he resign? A, ma- a majority said yes, and he said, okay, I'm out of here. That's a person who knows how to... Re- knows when when times are up because a lot of people will tell you a lot of good things about yourself but you got to search around on all the questions and ask all the right questions because underneath of it there really may be a feeling that people want you to go i've asked this question a lot henry and i'm sure i've asked it to you does the party the leader know why they failed here uh, I often think they don't. They make up a reason that is flattering to them, like uh, uh, like yeah. David Peterson for many, many years said, oh, is he because he was involved with trying to keep Quebec in Confederation, and people were upset that he was working with the federal government on national unity issues. I don't believe that was true, but they put that out there, and a lot of people believed it because he was making it, and he was making a good argument about it, but I, I don't think that was true. I think oftentimes... The leaders, particularly leaders who lose, like Peterson, you know, who hang on too long, uh, and things go sour on them. I, I often think they really don't know what hit them. I mean, and they, so they think of some sort of excuse that's, you know, that's uh, flattering to them. You know, uh, they, as, as Peter was, he was trying to save the country, and the people didn't appreciate it. Oh, I that rem- was nonsense. I remember being a young person and voting then and thinking. Uh, I remember feeling again a sense of arrogance and, and calling right. an election when it didn't need to be called. Oh yeah, exactly. If you if you pour, if, a, if a leader puts forward the image that they're arrogant, they're in a lot of trouble. They got to stay humble. You got to stay close to the people. And 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 a lot of our politicians have gotten very far away from the people. Uh, in, in some ways, Kathleen, the same way. I mean, it, I, I really think that was her downfall, Henry, was that yeah. she just, you know, I remember when all the polls came out on what people wanted to see or what their concerns were for the next election. And this was like a month before the campaign started. And it just seemed they were way off base. I mean, it just seemed that she had lost touch oh, yeah. with who Ontario was and then called called us bad actors. I think that stuck with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, they, they just basically, I mean, and one of the things that happens here now is the leaders oftentimes don't want to talk to anybody unless they're going to spring for a lot of money and election campaign money. I mean, I can remember when when Bill Davis was premier, and he would come to Hamilton and he'd bring his cabinet, and he would go down to Sir John A. McDonald High School downtown in the evening. There'd be a few speeches, and then there would be an open bar, uh, but cash bar, uh, you, you know, and he, they would get the cabinet, and the, he would just be there. I mean, if you went up to the bar and ordered a drink and there was the minister, you know, of finance was there, you could talk to him and tell him what you think. Hmm. They, they weren't, you don't see that sort of thing anymore. Now, 
the leaders are kept you know under wraps ordinary people everyday folks have so much trouble having a conversation with any of these people and that and they but those guys knew how to stay into contact with people but you know she just hung out with you know with rich you know rich folks uh people who were running corporations and or other you know big organizational leaders and and she really didn't have much time to have conversations with you know everyday folks ordinary folks do you think the voters attitude is different this time how does it the voters attitude different from past elections cuz you know a lot of us kind of you know hum and haw we whine we don't really yeah. participate well, what about this time well, I think uh, certainly we've been influenced by what's happened in the U.S., but it's happening in a lot of countries, even the European countries, is they just think that the parties, uh, you know, have got, have gotten the established parties uh, or leaders basically have gotten, you know, they spend time talking to each other and they don't spend time talking to ordinary people. And in fact, they and then they become very arrogant. They think everything's going wonderfully. They look at their numbers and their statistics, but they don't see the people behind the numbers and they don't talk to them. And it just comes across. You've got to rub shoulders with the, you know, with the ordinary people. You've got to make yourself available. You've got to show that you're talking to people and that you're listening to them. And, you, and you're willing to sit there and take the criticism while they tell you their grievances, their problems. And if you don't, if you don't do it, then I just think people say they're arrogant, they're out of touch, and we're going to get rid of them. Hmm. Moving forward, whoever wins tonight, what will be the biggest challenge for that party moving forward? Uh, I think the big problem, I, I'm not too sure I'd want to be the government. I mean, the big problem is money, right? Yeah. Uh, first of all, all three, part, all three leaders have promised to do a lot of things that cost money. And we know the province's uh, books are not in good shape. We, uh, we are building up our, uh, our, 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 de- our debt, and we're, we are running deficits. And, uh, you know, and, and there's all the promises that the leaders made. I mean, they can't. I mean, I can't imagine that any party could have kept all those promises. I mean, we, I mean, we're consuming electricity and we're not paying for it. I mean, we're, you know, and and then, and then there were promises on the campaign trail they're going to reduce it even more and all sorts of other things. And well, you know, yeah, all you know, there's just tremendous, tremendous promises out there. I cannot see how any of those people could pay for any of those three leaders could ever pay for what they're going to do. And they're going to have to, they're going to let down people at the end after the campaign. I'm sure and say. Well, it, we didn't realize things were so bad, and, <laughs> and you know you hear that after every single campaign, no matter Absolutely. who's taking in. You know, oh, gee, I didn't. You know, they told us the books were like this, and now they're like this. How does it change? So I guess that's a common, you know, that's a common thread for all political parties when the, whoever gets in. Right. That being said, with what the Financial Accountability Office has said and what the Auditor General has said in regard to the you know different accounting that's being used, what kind of problem does that present for the next party? Well, I mean, I'm not too worried about these fights over accounting because we know the money they're talking about. The Auditor General says you should, you know, a certain amount of money should be counted as a uh, on the deficit side. The government says no, it's on the asset side. But we know what kind of money they're talking about, and you can make up your own mind right. whether you think it's it's when people when they hide. What I worry about when the government sort of hide uh, things you know, uh, cash that they're spending or they're diverting somewhere and you don't know about it. I, I believe in transparency. That's one, I think that's one of the most important things to, you know, make government accountable and make people happy with the government. They want to know what's going on. And if there's bad news, you've got to tell people. As long as you lay, put your cards face up on the table, I think, you, you, you know, 
You got to do that. You got to have the guts to put put those cards face up and say, "Listen, we got a real problem here." I, you know, and even though the people might say, "Hey, that's your problem. You better you better solve it, but don't look at me." Hmm. But you got you have to put the cards face up. And I think financially, we've got, you know, the the budget and 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 you just can't be spending the kind of money all three party leaders want to do and you don't have the revenue coming in. I mean, that's that's the big problem. So obviously, uh, if we're to believe everything that the polls read, uh, wouldn't it be a shocker if Kathleen Wynne got back in somehow? <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, that, everybody that, be totally shocked, right. especially the pollsters. That's right. As soon as we pick each other off the floor, we'll talk tomorrow. Um, will what will life no, no matter who gets in tonight? What will life be like tomorrow? How will life change for Ontario as we move forward? Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of unhappy people. I think the, I think the the people who got their can, you know, their their candidate in will be relieved. But I think there's because they're so different. The people who've lost think it's going to be the end of the world. It doesn't matter whether it was Andrew Andrea Horvath or, or or Doug Ford. Whoever the, whoever loses is, thinks that the, it'll be the end of the world tomorrow, and they're going to be so upset and angry and glum, and you know we're just going to hear doom and gloom. And, uh, I mean, so that, that's what we're going to hear. And uh, so we, that's what we should be prepared for, at least from pe- for, for the people who lost. And we know there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of people who lost. I mean, the, the two parties are n- in votes are not that far apart. So, uh, but one party can, is likely to get a majority. Uh, but, but they aren't that far apart. There's a lot of people supporting both parties. So we're going to have a, a lot of unhappy people tomorrow. Uh, not that I want to necessarily compare this to the United States any more than we already have. Right. Uh, that being said, after the election, we saw what happened in the States. It seemed like the fighting continued for another couple of months before we right. even started moving forward. Is that what this is going to be like, or is this like any other election? All right, the result's in. Here it is. Let's move on. Accept it. And go from there. Well, the one thing about our system is that uh, there are, you know, you have a cabinet, and and the cabinet ministers have have important powers, especially the minister of finance. That's going to be the most important question: who is going to be appointed the minister of finance? Because that that person has all, you know, is is going to deal with the big problem. And if they're astute, I mean, if they got some special skill, that that's really going to, you know, that'll help the government and make people feel better. So you they you know they have to have a very good you know minister of finance. And and there's some people there who can do the job, I'm sure, and and do a good job at it and try to calm people. Down and and yeah, essentially, I mean, my advice to any, you know, any of these people would be always appoint the best people. You know, sometimes you you have to be careful with friends, or you want to, you know, pay attention to where they come from in the province, or how many men you got, or how many women you got, or how many visible minority people you got, and you got to hit every ethnic group. Nah, I don't. I think I I don't think that's a good idea. I think what you do. If you're really a smart guy, you're going to say, "Yeah, I, I have to be aware of those sort of things." But what I got to do in my cabinet, I got to get the best people doing the job, because sooner or later, if they're not the best people, people are going to make mistakes, and even the best people make mistakes. Mm. So you want to put somebody in there who's not going to make a lot of mistakes, because when they start making mistakes, then everybody, everybody turns on the government. Ask you one last question yeah. here, Henry. Uh, have the parties learned anything from this exercise? Have the parties learned anything from this campaign? Will will Canadian politics or Ontario politics have changed by this time tomorrow? 
Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for the winners, uh, let's assume, I mean, let's assume the PCs are going to win, and most of the surveys sort of say that. Uh, first of all, they, you know, the the um, the way the campaign was run and the fact that, you know, uh, the you know the 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 way it was running the uh, Doug Ford essentially oftentimes didn't interact a lot with the media and a lot of people are going to say well that's what you got to do is you got to have a candidate and you you know you basically have to give him a good script and they gave him a good script there's no question about it uh, he used it he used it well but he didn't interact and answer a lot of questions from the media and a lot of and so you know a number of party people say that's that's the way we run it we got to we really have to keep the reporters and the columnists and people like you away you know away from the away from our candidates they have to give their set speeches maybe answer a question or two and then disappear well we asked the same question when Donald Trump got elected what do parties uh, yeah. political parties do moving forward do they do they go to the opposite extreme the, let the pendulum swing back or do they mimic more and do we get more of that it'll be interesting to see how but as you said this is a, something that's sort of changing all over the world yeah well I mean the, the party that loses has to say okay what uh, what what things didn't we talk about that we should have talked about and uh, you could see it already in the Democrats in the United States for example you could see they they tell you what mistakes they learned by the people who are now going to be running in the off-year election, especially the new people, and what they talk about. And they they don't talk about you know some of the things that Hillary Clinton talked about. They're talking. They decided there's certain things that people want to hear, and there's certain things they don't want to hear. And so you could already see them correcting their mistakes uh, without telling you what mistakes they're correcting by just comparing what she said and what the with the um, with the people, the new people who are going to be running in the November elections in the states, and you'll you'll probably hear that um, you know for the same thing with the parties that that lose here, um, you know both the liberals and the NDP. We, I would think if they, assuming they lose, they'll have they'll be making some adjustments and talking about uh, different different things going forward. Henry Jasek has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, you enjoy your next Christmas. Okay, I will. <laughs> It'll be tonight. All right, you take care. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, we're going to talk about the G7, the summit taking place tomorrow and Saturday in Quebec. Uh, Any different from the others considering uh, the icy relations between Donald Trump and the rest of the allies, especially when it comes to things like tariffs and... Well, I guess anything else that's happened in the last uh, 500 days or so. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. He is with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. Elliot, I'm going to throw you a, a, a Hail Mary here. I'm going to T-bone sure. you with, because I, I can't, uh, we can't talk about G7 without me at least asking you uh, one thought on the Ontario election. You've seen a few of these over the time. Uh, as you go from today back to when this campaign pain all started. What are your thoughts? Well, as a political scientist, first of all, I commend each and every one of the candidates who are putting themselves forward. This is public service. It's a calling. And uh, again, I commend uh, all the parties, and there are many parties uh, and their candidates. Second of all, what I've been suggesting, uh, I have some guidelines for elections. There's too many of them. I got five, but one of them is pay attention to the boring stuff. When you start looking at elections, Scott, it's very easy to overlook the mechanics, but the people running cannot overlook the mechanics. We have a candidate now running for the Conservative Party and very possibly going to be the next leader of our province who did not actually win either the popular vote or the most uh, ridings along the way, 
the way the rules were structured, the theory of representation led to his selection over our, another candidate. So pay attention to the really dull and boring stuff if you really care about politics. That's how we got Doug Ford. Uh, thirdly, I thought I think if, if we could if tick the box for none of the above, that would be the plurality winner of this election. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. What happened to the center? All right, here we are on question number two, and I was only going to give you one. What happened to the center here? Um, the political center in Ontario? Yeah. I think it's still there. I, I've not given a lot of thought to that particular issue. This is a very sensible uh, province, and you will notice that over the long period of time, we quite uh, cheerfully, as a province, selected one party federally and a totally different party provincially. It's kind of an internal sense of checks and balances. Right. So right now we happen to have a liberal government uh, federally, and it's not surprising that a conservative party may come to power. And uh, we'll have to see if that does prevail. But the center does not seem in Ontario to be as threatened as it is uh, perhaps in the United States. We don't have that degree of polarization, at least not yet. Good point. All right, uh, let's talk about the G7. Uh, to the average Canadian, what is the purpose of these summits? Why, is, why are they important? The G7 is easy to overlook, but it's arguably the most important political uh, gathering right now in terms of governing and managing international relations for the simple reason that the large official body, the United Nations, is often... Uh, stymied by internal uh, problems and vetoes and so forth. And the G20, which Canada helped, uh, helped initiate, which brings together developed and emerging countries, uh, you know, such as uh, India and China, that's still larger than the G7, the G8 originally. The, the liberal political entities who believe in internationalism, that is, the advanced industrial democracies, if they can reach consensus, can help shape the, shape the tone and even the agenda of foreign affairs, and they do meet once a year. Will this summit be different? Why is this one different, Trump. especially when it comes to <laughs> Trump and tariffs and such? Go ahead. Well, it's pretty easy to see why this is different. There's one key difference. Uh, although there's always room for disagreement among the seven leaders who meet Remember, uh, by themselves in a small room with hardly, I guess there's no advisors at all, they, they get to really talk to each other and exchange views. But this is after a very careful process of uh, many, many meetings leading up to the summit, including min- meetings of foreign ministers and so forth. The um, difference is that up until this past year in, in Italy, these countries were all committed to upholding the international order that they themselves helped create, most importantly, the United States, starting at Bretton Woods in, in uh, 1944, as the war was ending, to construct an international order resting on uh, laws and on processes and really on democracy as well. Uh, we now seem to have a president who just doesn't accept the basic structures of the international order that the G7 does represent, uh, he doesn't seem to accept them, and that's a first and a very ominous sign for this meeting. What is it going to be like? How difficult will it be for him in these meetings, especially if they are all alone? Well, 
um, is it going to be difficult for him, or is he going to make it difficult for everyone else? Quite clearly, we have a president, as I suggested, who doesn't really share the commitment to the international order, to globalization, uh, for example, that all the others are, are committed to. Since he rejects that going in, the particulars then are likely to be very contentious. And Can they you know, sway him on that, though, Elliot? No, I, mean, I yeah. don't believe so. I think that uh, Donald Trump, well, let's put it differently. He has a reputation of being polite and cordial to those facing him at the moment. So I would not anticipate a, uh, an actual flare-up, uh, you know, temper tantrums and threats to walk out and so forth, although that could happen, of course. But uh, the fundamental basis of Donald Trump's reckoning are twofold in regard to this particular issue we're talking about. One is he really doesn't believe in the kinds of things that all the others believe in, mm. and that most certainly includes the nature of international trade, which is everybody else's thinking is it brings you win-win-win. Uh, everybody gets more prosperous if we all cooperate, and he sees this as if... Uh, if you win, then we lose, and we win, and you lose. It's a, a different, a different way of thinking about international relations. But above all else, so that's a long-standing position. This is not new to Don, Donald Trump as president. He's always believed this, apparently, that international trading arrangements have been to the disadvantage of America, and we've been made suckers of. He says so, this kind of thing. But the other th- part of it is that uh, he now has an election coming, which is absolutely crucial right. to America, but also to his own personal fate. Almost everything you hear coming out of Washington these days has to do with the midterm elections. Power is up for grabs in America. If he can feed the base, which, yeah. again, watch everything he does in all kinds of ways, this is all meant to convince the base that he is doing what he said he was going to do. He's going to bring them their jobs back. So... We now have a situation where tariffs, for example, are going to be a big deal on this agenda. That all has to do with steel and aluminum or aluminum, and that has to do with telling Pennsylvania, I'm bringing back your jobs, the Rust Belt, I'm bringing back your jobs. Between now and November, there's no way to prove that or disprove it, but there's a way to assert it. Donald Trump, obviously, uh, fragile ego, cares what other people think of him. Um, we all know that he can motivate his base, but what about those of his peers? Uh, when he's in the room with those other leaders, um, does he want their respect? Does that matter to him, or would he rather have them on their heels? I think he um, does want to come in and say, remember who's the top dog here. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town, I'm that sheriff, and all of you would better wake up and, and uh, realize that. So, of course, he would like their, their... Remember, he got along very well with Macron and with our, our prime minister as well, mm-hmm. and with Shinzo Abe as well from Japan, who's coming. So the, the um, personal side of that is indeed important, but it pales in significance to whether or not the House of Representatives remains in Republican right. hands because they, among other things, can initiate impeachment proceedings. So he cares more about that than this summit at all? Uh, by far. Why will he even show up then? There was rumor that he wouldn't. What, what, what do you think his objective is here? How, how do you think, uh, uh, what's his intention here? Uh, I've been suggesting for a while it's 50-50 whether he would show up or not, but it's getting very close to the time now 
uh, for him to cancel because, you know, it's starting <laughs> very soon. And indeed, the pre-meetings are already underway. We, brought, we have uh, the President Macron here talking to Justin Trudeau. How are we going to get together and save this, this summit? And France inherits the G7 next year as well. But also, uh, the, he's going to go from here straight to the North Korea summit. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, he, there's two things I think he would like out of this. One is to demonstrate, again, I was 50-50 whether he would come, because why come to just be shouted at? Right. But if he can walk in and say, all right, everybody, you know, I'm the one here. You've you got to deal with me and you'd better pay attention to me. And not only that, you'd better be nice to me. But also, he would like an international consensus to back his position at the North Korean summit. I think that'll be readily given, uh, depending on how it's phrased. So he wants to go into the summit with the backing of the G7. Many will say who are in positions of power, I don't care whether people like me as long as they respect me. Will he think that way? Does he care about that? Uh, I think like and respect are very much fused in his mind. Uh, quite clearly, he likes to be admired. and uh, he likes Then it must drive him, it would drive him nuts then that all these big leaders are ticked at his... Well, now the onus is on all these other leaders how to handle the face-to-face meeting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Are they going to say, oh, yes, sir, uh, we don't agree with you on this, and we certainly want you to agree, and we, we want to work with you, or, you know, you're dead wrong, Donald, and we're going to oppose you. So how they choose to manage the interpersonal relations is a choice and a decision for each of the leaders, but most certainly it's uh, primarily a concern for the host, which happens to be our government. Hmm. Uh, Talk about that. As being the host, what is our responsibility? What is Trudeau's responsibility here? The host government gets to, not unilaterally, but primarily set the agenda. So, as I suggested, the G7 can help set the tone of international relations. Our government wants to put the progressive agenda uh, of the current government, its stamp on this on this uh, meeting. But of course, that progressive agenda is not attractive to the largest player, that is, to mm-hmm. Donald Trump and the United States. So, there are five themes. Uh, they deal with inclusive growth. I think this is an important point. Uh, from summit to summit to summit, inclusive growth has now increasingly been the focus. That is, we can't just have globalization. We have to have globalization that includes others. Mm-hmm. We can't, basically, we have to defend ourselves against the kind of populism that indeed helped elect Donald Trump mm-hmm. and led to Brexit and the populist wave sweeping Europe. So inclusive growth is a theme. But this particular summit is going to have a strong emphasis, if our, our leaders uh, have their way, on climate, and you know how that's going to be um, <laughs> accepted mm-hmm. by Donald Trump, and on empowerment, empowerment of women and, and uh, education of girls. So th- I think there will be some things on that. Also coming to the fore um, is the environment in the, in the form of plastics. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I think we talked about the Commonwealth Summit when it was the heads of government meeting, which was not too long ago, had a, uh, a convention on, on plastics and the oceans. And this summit is likely to now be able to focus on that, which is not nearly as contentious, of course, and where you can get more consensus. Uh, So plastic, of all things, might be Mm. one of the primary legacies, uh, plastics and the ocean and and sustainability, uh, might be the major legacy out of this summit, if it's successful. What about tariffs? 
tariffs are going to be the issue that can tear the summit apart. Donald Trump has, uh, as we all know, slapped tariffs on all of his allies and indeed did it under a provision of American, uh, an obscure corner of American legislation, saying, and this has been misconstrued, saying that America has to have the ability at home to have production of vital components for our security and defense. And that was what was invoked by Donald Trump as the excuse for slapping on this tariffs. Yeah. We took this as, and it, Donald Trump made it easy, as saying that Canada is a national security threat. Mm. That's not actually what the legislation says, but the way Donald Trump, Trump presented it, and also, you know, since it clearly was, a, in a sense, a, a made-up excuse for slapping on tariffs that he wanted to slap on, our government and others, but our government has reacted very strongly to the idea that, we, Canada, which, you know, we stand with America, we, we die with America on the beaches and sands of the world, should be considered a national security threat. So that has added not only an element of concern, but of, of rhetoric. That kind of rhetoric is going to be um, detrimental to a successful summit. It may be worth doing anyway. So, yes, tariffs may indeed derail this summit. Uh, will it be the most dominant uh, issue? Will it? You talked about these other five uh, platforms that they want to touch on. Um, how soon before they get to tariffs, and and how 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 will this dominate? Will it? Will this end up derailing it? Do you think? It's not impossible because this Donald Trump is not going to change his mind on it for the two reasons I suggested. He actually believes it, and beyond that. Uh, this suits his base and electoral politics. So will this be a six versus one? It could well be a six uh, versus one. And beyond six versus one, uh, it's an issue that, that changes the nature of the international order that the group of seven has been maintaining. So hmm. it's, it's a, a really um, critical turning point in a sense. This isn't just Donald Trump. This is America saying we don't support the kind of international order that the G7 represents. And so six plus one, it is, you know, the saying has been, it's not just America first. Uh, America first doesn't mean America alone. But the tariff issue, combined with pulling out of uh, the, the Paris Climate Accords, the Iran nuclear deal, this is separating America from its allies. So this now might be the summit that says, yes, it's uh, America alone. Uh, based on what you just said, Elliot, will this be an education session for Trump? Could he learn something here that he didn't realize when it comes to that union? He might see the united front <laughs> of America's allies uh, and closest friends and those allies that you need for other things in the world, like, among other things, uh, the North Korean summit. If you, you want people to have your back. When he sees there's a united front on this issue, it might make him pause. Yeah, I, but again, for the two reasons I've suggested uh, more than once, if he's unlikely to actually be educated. He believes he's been educated. He grew up thinking, I mean, there's a, uh, all through his career, thinking America's uh, trade deals have worked against America. But also, it's absolutely crucial in his mind to feed the base, and the base is all involved with keeping power. How would there have been a lot or any pre-meetings between these six or their staffers of some oh, sort yes. to in in order to how to handle Donald Trump in this scenario? Well, 
they're so-called Sherpas. That is, each of them. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that interesting? This is a summit, so they have a Sherpa yeah, that climbs the mountains, right? So uh, the Sherpas have been meeting, you know, for a year, and they meet frequently. They talk to each other. They, uh, they strategize. And at the leader level, remember, this is considered, you know, the top table of international politics. Uh, the leaders have, are, like today and yesterday, as I've suggested, uh, President Macron has come early to Canada to have really a lot of time with our prime minister, I think specifically on how do we manage this summit. There's other issues, of course. And do other leaders think that Trudeau has the, the, the leg up here, asking him for advice? Hey, how do we handle this guy ahead of this meeting? Well, that would have been the case. Well, you know, we're also the host. So <laughs> you know, talking yeah. to, the, to the chair, you know, the one who holds the gavel, uh, is important. But until recently, it looked as if uh, Canada had been more successful than just about anybody in figuring out how to deal with the unexpected election of Donald Trump. And I give the government full marks for moving very, very quickly and very effectively to open up lines of communication with the inner circle of the Trump administration, including at that point Bannon, Steve Bannon, but also mobilizing support all across America, the business sector, the governors, uh, members of the House and so forth, and the Senate, mobilizing support for NAFTA. So yes, up until very recently, that would be a fair comment. But very, very recently, we see that NAFTA is not doing well and that we've had this testy exchange we're just learning about, uh, I guess about a week ago, when the tariffs were first announced, and Donald Trump and Trudeau spoke to each other on the phone, and it didn't go well. Uh, that being said, um, does Trudeau have that advantage, having the best relationship out of the others with him? Well, Shinzo Abe, uh, interestingly, is a, a player here. Mm-hmm. We've talked about you know, the G7, and we instinctively think of that as a Western alliance. And keep in mind, the G7 also adds to itself the EU. In fact, two officials, the top officials from the EU are here as well. But Shinzo Abe uh, of Japan leads an advanced industrial democracy, and he has had perhaps the best uh, relationship, well, certainly the most constant relationship, with Donald Trump. He seems to be Donald Trump's Asia educator. And, of course, they have a huge stake in the, in the Korean summit as well. So Shinzo Abe, uh, they've met over 30 times. This will be 31st time face-to-face in a number of phone calls, more than I think has been widely uh, announced. So Shinzo Abe may be playing a critical role in this summit. Elliot Tepper is with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Elliot, always a fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Teenage Head joining us in studio. Let's go. Is Gordon Lewis, guitar, Steve Mann, bass, and Dave Rave, uh, vocals, and Gene Champagne, who's going to be drumming for you at the big show. Uh, Of course, uh, in the band as well right now. So, welcome. This is so exciting to see you guys here. Thank you. And I was joking around when, you know, because, of course, uh, I was in high school when you guys were... uh, hitting it big, and I remember that uh, um, you were scheduled to play at Markham District High School, and then that damn riot at Ontario Place, and it all kind of went out the window. When you see other fans or other people like me, do they all have to tell you their teenage head story? They do. They really do. Yeah, they're, they're so passionate about it, too. Come right in there, under yeah, that mic. They're really yeah. passionate about their stories, yeah. Uh, do any of them resonate, or do you just, oh yeah, it's another one. It's another fan. Well, Ontario Place is a big one. 
That's a, what a lot of people like to talk about. All right, let's let's talk about that since uh, you know it seems to be uh, front and center. What happened? What happened? Still don't know. Two pounds of bologna in a one-pound bag. They just, uh, they just they just had too many people. They just yeah. they just weren't expecting that many people to come. I don't think. Right. And they just weren't prepared for it. I don't think they expected expected it at all. Uh, so what did that night, what did that event do for Teenage Head other than getting them canceled at Markham District High School? Mm, I've been told we sold a lot more albums. Whether or not that's true or not, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the, uh, Rolling Stone magazine wrote about it, so it was international. It got international magazines. Uh, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we lost a gig at Markham High School. <laughs> 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 Alice Cooper got canceled, didn't he? Uh, we should try and do that one over. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? They tore the school down and built a new one. That would oh, be a good reason to do it. Surprised. All right, so speaking of high schools, going back to Westdale, what is this like for you guys? I mean, and, and I understand you've moved up from the calf to the actual gym this time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's well, good to see. you know, uh, Michelle is here, joined us from, she's a principal of the school, so thanks to her. She. Uh, I'm sorry, Michelle. I had no right. idea you were joining us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were with the band, not with. The <laughs> <band>. <laughs> She's our new drummer. Jean. Wait a sec. That's Jean. Wait a sec. Are you uh, sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you're a principal? <laughs> yes. I know it's hard to believe. It doesn't look no. like Mr. Meeklejohn. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, does this look anything like the principal that? Uh, oh no, you guys. <laughs> Mr. Watson did not no. look like Michelle. <laughs> and, and again, not to to, to uh, y- you know not to go in that direction. It's just you're wearing a leather jacket. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's yeah. lots of administrators that wear leather jackets. There you Ooh, go. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so uh, out of the cafeteria and you said into the gym. Yeah, yes. no, we're going into the odd. No basketball nets on this one. <laughs> uh, yes. This is awesome yeah. auditorium. It's yeah. awesome. Talk about this. Yeah, how did that happen, Michelle? You tell us what uh, your, your story, how you, you yeah. got this band to play again. Because we had a conversation. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes all you need to do is say hi to somebody and yeah. amazing things happen. Uh, I was at the St. Hollywood and these guys were playing that night. I was just talking to the bartender and said, who's playing tonight? They said, Teenage Head. And, and uh, my partner with me said, you know, most of them are, are Westdale grads. I said, yeah. I'm going to go over. They were warming up. And, yeah. and I said, I can go over and say hi. So I just introduced myself as the current uh, Westdale principal, and they hopped off the stage, and we had an awesome conversation. I thought they might just run in the other direction. <laughs> 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 Have you been drinking <laughs> for twelve years? No, Forty years. <laughs> Forty-three years later, have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> I <Sorry>. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I smell liquor on your breath. (laughs) (laughs) Detention. So this is kind of how the conversation went. Right, 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 (laughs) right. So it makes total sense. Yeah, and so they talked about, well, then I saw the cameras, and they talked about the fact that they were filming a documentary, and I said, wouldn't it be awesome if you were to be able to come full circle and and play back at the high school again because they had told me how their first ever gig was in the cafeteria mm. of the high school in 1975. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, could you think mm. we could make that happen? And I said, well... I in other words, what that means, <laughs> could you get us clearance? <laughs> <laughs> Are we still allowed what on the property? Yeah. <laughs> Can we drink alcohol on the school premises? <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah. Thankfully, no riots happen in between. So we can still do it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so as far as doing this from a school perspective, what was the response like? Oh, it was great because it actually nicely tied into what we, we were planning a, a, a wall of distinction ceremony right. celebration. And I said that, well, you could probably play as part of those celebrations. Well, then it turns out their name was put forward for induction, the group Teenage yeah. Head. 
um, was put forward for induction. And so it nicely tied in. Their name came forward for induction, and they are going to play as, as one of the inductees. So it came together perfectly in terms of the school celebrations we were looking to have and, and supporting you know, something, uh, probably a dream come true for them at the same time as well. So it just was an awesome connection. Was this a no-brainer for you guys? Yes, it was, absolutely. Yeah. It's been a lot of work, but yeah. a lot of people have worked really hard to make this happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. And, 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 you know, we're grateful for that. Cause it, t- it always takes a hard work to do something like, as you, as you said before, Every month, a band used to play in high schools, yeah, right? We yeah. grew up with bands. We, yeah. we were doing a litany of everybody who we saw at Westdale or at John A. Yeah. I remember seeing Bob Seeger at the Cathedral High School, you know, oh, and man. you know stuff like that. And uh, but but now it's a rare thing. So the work to make this show happens is is unbelievable. It's fantastic. What is it about this school? That, uh, you know, I mean, that wall. It's quite the wall. It is quite the wall. I mean, well, how, it, how do you guys explain that? You can't. You can't. It's is it just coincidence? Who, who knows who's going there right now? They're, yeah. Is, is Andrea going to be the premier? Or? Right. I mean, how do who who knows what's going to Did she happen. go to school when we did? Who? Andrea Sorry. Horwath. Uh, was she, I'm not sure. You guys were de- yeah, <laughs> no, that I was a little before my know time. That. No, they were there, I'm but they sure. were never in class. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were. At the pool hall down the three. A red so, barn. <laughs> so talk about what's going to happen and how the students are also involved in yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, a, after all, it is You're playing an assembly, the right? Yeah. They yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's exciting. exciting. Two assemblies, and they have to get up really early, a night of a gig, that they're actually having a gig. Oh, so yeah. It's going to be a little bit a mor- of a different schedule. It's not a morning assembly, is it? Yes, yes it, it is. is. Really? <laughs> Come what? on. Come I thought on. it was at 4 o'clock. And, <laughs> I think, and I think sound checks at 7.30 a.m., did I hear? Quit drinking now. You just have to stay up for the night before. Is oh, that what you're geez. doing? <laughs> Whenever you had, uh, you know, interviews on uh, morning radio, didn't you just stay up for yeah, all night, night all night and just <laughs> keep going? At least that's what <laughs> we always thought. Right. So what about the other students? What's their response to this? It's, it's going to be it's super positive. I'm not sure. I mean, we Dave came in to our holiday assembly. Yep. And we s- announced it then. And they actually, when I just said his name, the, I yeah, said, I don't know if you know what band that's associated yeah, with. And the kids yelled out, Teenage yeah, Head. She, so. she, said, she said all the names. Of yeah, I did. I read the she whole band. She even said Frankie yeah. Kerr, not Frankie Venom. And yeah. yet everybody went, yeah. Teenage Head. So I was, yeah. like, I was blown away. I was expecting mm-hmm. to go, okay, guys, you don't have to know. Really. You don't have to know. But yeah. they knew it. Like, they screamed yeah. it. I think it's going to be great because what these guys bring and what all the other inductees bring is an inspiration. Right. To just longevity, resilience, things, you know, sticking with things and becoming successful and achieving your dreams, regardless of what life comes your way. They're in a challenging industry. And and 43 years later, they're still playing. What do you think Frankie would say? Uh, let's ask him. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be there right in the front row. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, he'd love to play in the auditorium. Oh, auditorium. Yeah. yeah, he'd love it. Yeah. 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 What's it going to be like for you guys to be standing on stage in there? I'm not sure. Sure, we were just over at the school about half an hour ago, and I, I found mean, my old locker. Really, there was no lock on it. I don't know if it was. I Means not being used. It's no. yours. Old <laughs> 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 <I'll> new <laughs> locker. Maybe it's like this. Can we know. retire the locker? That's right. <laughs> what yeah, do you yeah. think, Gord? Do you think is it going to be uh, feel good on that stage? Oh yeah, yeah. It's going to feel. It's a beautiful stage. It's a beautiful theater. It's going to be fun. Yeah. What is it like, though, playing for those kids that you used to be? I mean, you mm. used to be those kids in that auditorium. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it's sort of weird, but I think it'll be terrific. You know? yeah. I, mean, I think it's going to be exciting to and, play for and, them. And, and not even so much that, the fact, and, like you were joking, I mean, when you guys go on stage, they're not going to stand there and go, 
they know exactly who you are. They yeah. know your history. Yeah. And, and of course, how your history is, is woven into this city and, and Canadian music. Yeah. That's, that's got to make you feel pretty cool. Uh, hopefully there'll be some chaos. We don't want chaos. Who's no chaos? No chaos. No who's chaos. who's <laughs> the first one to throw a chair? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, They're a fix. Frankie. Thank you. Frankie, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what are you guys doing? Tell everybody, guys, what you're doing now. How often do you perform? What, what goes on? What's happening? You're obviously making a documentary. Well, Steve. Um, and with, with Gord, they put together a compilation uh, that just got put out on Warner Music, and it's called C- Fun Come Fast. Hmm. And it's a wonderful collection of all the, the music that this band has made over the last 40 years. And he, they, he did such a great job, you know, in the, in the design of the album. It, it's on vinyl. What, what color vinyl is it? Paint vinyl. Pink? Mm. Yeah, pink vinyl. Pink vinyl. And it's still on CD, We're too. We're selling the, them tonight. Yeah, oh, and they'll be there. And uh, mm. it, what a nice job. And, it, and the band just got put into the Indie Hall of Fame, yeah. uh, which was a great ex- great feeling because I think uh, the band, everywhere I've gone in the world, somebody's been influenced by Teenage Head. Like, uh, even we played last year for um, the different festivals, like Colin... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin James. Colin James said, yeah. "Hey, you know, I love Gorge guitar playing. Frank, I love watching Frank play. Everywhere we play, there's always somebody that comes up and says that the, this band um, influenced them or made them want to play music. From Gord Downey, who mm. they covered uh, Teenage Heads music with uh, with Finn, mm-hmm. uh, and they played. Am I correct? You were there when they played. Uh, Picture my face at Cuffs, right? Yeah, I was yeah. There, yeah. yeah, it sounded yeah. great." Yeah, uh, that's and it's on YouTube. But so I think for this band, it it's coming home as it shows everything that's happened in the years, that the influences, and then the students can see that that that, uh, that the music has gone worldwide, and and uh, made it made an impact. How did this band get together? Right in the high school. Yeah, yeah right in high met. school. Yeah, yeah, just met in high school. So you met in high school. I can play, you can play, yeah, let's get it, together and play. Yeah. yeah. What were you playing then? Lord was playing bass. Yeah, I was playing bass. Who, yeah. you, was playing, no. you had the music. music. What, was music were you, what music were you, were you playing? Whose music MC were you playing? MC5, Iggy Pop, mm-hmm. Kiss. Not so much Kiss at the end. Yeah. Oh, A little Kiss. So you'd strut it, right? No. Yeah. Aerosmith, Roxy Music. Sweet. Sweet, yeah. Yeah, yeah just... Uh, Stuff when, we were listening to at the time. Wh- when did you start to get into the into the um, um, process of writing and creating your own stuff? What was that? Really was early. Really early. Like uh, we we wanted to write songs. Like that was the goal of the band was to write songs. So you want you wanted more to write your own original yeah. material. As I know I did. To do <clears throat> other people's stuff. Yeah. I, I no, remember you coming to me and saying, "I got a song called Jet 45." Was that was the first? Was that's that Jeff Forty Five's a song, yeah. Was that one of the first ones? Yeah, it was one of the first ones. Yeah, that, you know, yeah, that would have been what, 75, 76 around that time, right? Yeah, we didn't want to be a band that played weeks in bars. We wanted to be a band that played one nighters. We kind of were. We were pretty focused for kids. Uh, um, Where did that come from? From going to Massey Hall and seeing bands play, yeah. and have, watching your favorite band play, and that was this is when bands were playing high schools. Bands were playing at Massey Hall all the time too. There was yeah. a concert every week, just like there was a band every month in the high school. And uh, I know Steve and I would go to every concert pretty well. 
talk about music of that time. We're talking about the mid-70s at this point. Uh, on the radio, disco. Disco was making a huge... And this was almost like an anti-disco music, the whole uh, movement, the whole punk movement. The, the whole punk movement. in 76, and so did we. Mm-hmm. But you were nothing like what was being played on the radio at that time. No. No, you're right. You weren't. Talk about that battle, that what that was like. Because you're blazing a trail that was going against mainstream at the time. Yeah, well, we fortunately, I think Q107 had just gone on the air in 76 or 77, and they just jumped right on us. They started playing uh, a couple tracks off our first album, and CFNY was, uh, was mm-hmm. helping us as well. So we got a bit of support, really, from radio when you look back and think about it. So the uh, DJ supported us. They would come out to the shows. So there's a whole thing going on in radio, too, at the time that was a little different. There was the disco, but there's also this new wave rock and roll yeah, thing going on yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, we kind of rode that wave. <coughs> uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, AM a- sort of getting it around 79. Mm-hmm. Like the beginning of the days, it was more like, yeah, that, it was more of that kind of thing. Then around mm-hmm. singles started getting played. I mean, Nevin like, Grant was super supportive. Yeah, back Nevin. Then. Yeah. 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 yeah, super supportive. And uh, it's almost as if it went from the punk movement to the new wave movement. And yeah, then you got sur- it. And then it became more mainstream yeah. and acceptable mm-hmm. as we got into the, to the early 80s and stuff. Did it lose its edge when, we, when it became mainstream? Not as far as we are concerned. We just kept doing what we've always done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to see us t- tomorrow night. It's the same thing we've always done. We've never really wavered off that. Mm-hmm. When you look back at your career now, at this band now, what do you think about it? Survival. Hmm. <laughs> Why are we still here? Yeah. 43 years later. It's been a lot of ups and downs, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Every gig was an Ontario place. <laughs> <laughs> Close, yeah. but. Yeah. <laughs> Close, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it's, it's really cool that we ended up playing our first gig right across the street at the school. Mm-hmm. That could have been at the Y on Ottawa Street. That could have been anywhere. That could have been a bar bits for somewhere, but it was, it was there. It was at our school. Stephen Prendergrass was the in charge of whoever hired bands for dances, and he, mm. we must have just bugged him and <laughs> let us play, let us play, let us play, and you know here we are, back, yeah, at the same school, <laughs> but not in the calf. So, <laughs> but I think everybody out there who hasn't, I, my, my theory is that everybody out there who hasn't seen the band for a long time, it's a great place to see a, a, the show. And if you, of course, if you see the band all the time, I know you'll be there. But if you haven't seen the band, you're Westdale graduate and you go hey you know what i'm going to go back to the old school and see teenage head i think it's a pretty exciting moment you know i, I would want to see aerosmith at the school or or something like that yeah. you know uh, it's yeah. it, i think it's a good thing this band seems ageless <laughs> you can put this music on and it has the same immediacy the same mm. vibrancy uh as it always did yeah. What does that say to you as musicians? I mean, that this music, that you can put it on and it doesn't sound dated. Mm-hmm. No, we're lucky. Yeah, we just tried our best. That's all we did. And uh, yeah, you know, somehow it's got longevity to it. It's got legs. Gord came over to my house when we were just kids and he played me Iggy's. Um, I remember it was... Um, Raw Power. Raw Power. No, even before that. Uh, um, and in that energy of that stuff, people still listen to Iggy. Nobody was listening to it yet then, mm-hmm. but it was, um, I think it was, um, it, it, that energy is still inside the band, that whatever the intent of the band was about, it hasn't been, that hasn't changed. So I think that's why it's timeless to some degree, because the energies 
been carried, you know? What do other musicians, younger musicians, I mean, the Canadian music industry has changed so much since you guys uh, blazed the trail. Um, mm. What do other musicians say to you guys, younger musicians, when they meet you? Well, if they've come and seen us, they're happy, they like it. Um, sign what about my bass. You know, <laughs> sign my bass. Oh, yeah. What about what about influence? What about do, do they tell you stories of how your music affected them? Not a lot. I mean, you do get that. Yeah. Um, it's not like we've had thirty number one songs that got sold millions of records around the world. Um, close. Do you, do you, do you? This is a dumb question, but do you wish you'd sur you'd sold all that? I mean, you know, as you well, said, this this band's had quite a, a colorful past. It's had ups and downs, huge ups and you downs. You know, it's like Gord said, we tried really hard, and we just did what we do, and we never compromised. We never said, "Oh, let's get a a keyboard player in the band because that's the new wave sound coming out of England right. right now." No, 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 no. We just did what we did, and like I said, we're still doing it. What's and your thought on where music is today? Hmm. Go ahead, Dave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have to say one thing. that If you thought about bands like the Trues we played last year with Billy Talent at uh, Tim Hortons Field. And Ian DeSore always comes and sees the band. And mm -hmm. he loves guitar, Gord's guitar playing. You know, that's a real yeah. tribute because when we saw them play after, they're, they're really good. Yeah. Really good. And the fact that he cites Gord as one of his main influences and always comes to every show. And also there were the Trues, which we know them. They're mm. Halifax boy or Nova Scotia boys that now live in the area. And they were at the show, uh, Jack and Colin, and they both said that the most exciting moments of the night was seeing Gordian band play so I guess that's a little bit of an example of bands from the past that sort of are still watching the band and getting moved by the are band, we you know? losing mm -hmm. the are we losing the magic of a guitar a guitar driven a driven band hmm. probably yeah probably I yeah. mean you know are we losing that basic rock and roll I would say so is that good or bad mm. I don't know. Pe if people are streaming Drake a million streams a day, they must be happy with it. Yeah. Right. So that's their choice. But you never know because, you know, like uh, some young kid might be like the way that when <coughs> when we were young and we heard a music that maybe nobody else had heard. And you go, hey, I want to make that, you know, because this was when, when Gord was brought over the New York Dolls album, mm. that wasn't mainstream, right? Oh. That was a very low stream. <laughs> you call it. But well, you yeah, you're so right. Like those bands never ever got airplay and still don't get yeah, airplay. Yeah. Maybe on some obscure satellite radio so, station. But, but they took that music and it inspired them. You know, so it's yeah. it's, it's sort of a continuum. You never know eh, what, how the effect is out there. You're doing. It's right? just it's just really it's really lucky that FM radio still enjoys our music, and like you said, people still identify with it. All right, give us the details of the big yes. show. Logistics oh, the big show. of it all. Yeah, t tomorrow, doors open at 6.30, social in the cafeteria. There'll be license. It's will, a be, will there be bouncers there frisking everybody down? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> so it, definitely a 19-plus event. And this is open This is open to everybody. Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's open, it is. not just necessarily. Don't ha you don't have to be a Westdale alumni. Westdale? This is This is for the community as well. Now, do you think Westdale's doing this for the community, too. Are, are you going to be standing there at the door and saying, wait a sec, uh, you were just here a few minutes ago for the assembly. You're not old enough to be <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> we're going to be there. Do you think there'll be any current students at that show? No. Too <laughs> 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 young. Yeah. So 19 right. plus events. Yeah, all right, there you go. Charlie Torelli's on at 8 o'clock. 
you definitely everyone needs to come and, and see Charlie, another Hamilton yep. and Westdale icon. And then Teenage Head starts at 930. All right. Uh, Gord Lewis, Steve Mann, and Dave Rape have been here. And Teenage Head going back to the old stomping grounds of Westdale High School tomorrow night. Yeah. Thanks so much, right. Scott. Congratulations, guys. Thank you for having us on. Thank you so much for coming in. You're yeah. welcome anytime. Thank the Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.